0: Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are, it is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me on Jen Taylor Rerouting. My goal is that every guest becomes a friend, and I feel truly blessed to know the people that I've interviewed. If you want to know more information about me from being a guest on this show to my virtual assistant services for podcasters, or perhaps you want to be a published author, I have coaching and ghostwriting services for that. You can find everything that you want to know on jentaylor.net. Remember to give a shout out, share, like. Give me some feedback on all of my interviews. I'm happy to join in on a conversation with you. Have a great day. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Melissa Monte. Melissa, how are you today?
1: I'm amazing. How are you?
0: I'm amazing too, and this is super fun. Uh, Melissa and I don't know each other at all. We met through a podcasting group, which is a really amazing podcasting group on Facebook.
1: Yeah, it is really helpful.
0: Um, I've met a lot, I've met, I've cyber met a lot of people there and I really appreciate the work that they put into that. So welcome to the podcast.
1: So I'm going to having me on. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, anytime Hmm. anybody says yes, I'm excited. I do a happy dance. So (laughs) you have a podcast yourself. So let's talk a little bit about who you are and what you do
1: now. I'm Melissa Monti, and I have a podcast called Mind Love, and the inspiration behind it is just that I am into yoga. Uh, the more I seek, the more I get into different modes of spirituality and bettering myself, and so I'm all over the place from reading spirituality books to business books and was just noticing the things that they all had in common and the things that everybody said would make your life better using your willpower, doing, just doing different things to better your life and be a better person. And I found that between those two sides, there was kind of a gap that I wanted to bridge from the people who are very woo-woo, spiritual, uh, chakra crystals <laughs> to, and then just the business mindset. and And with the upward trend of people getting into yoga and things like that, there's just a gap that needed to be filled. So my podcast focuses on the Um, kind of just betterment for regular people and, and explaining it in a way that people can understand that's not too, it's not too law of attraction-y, but isn't too, this is only good for you if you're building a huge business and things like that. So it's gotten a lot of positive feedback. I, I add sound design and things like that to make it immersive. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm also vice president of a startup, but my passion really lies with my podcast.
0: And it's interesting. I love the woo-woo part because I, we, I think we're all probably a little woo-woo. just depends on how much yeah. you want to admit it. And sometimes um, I talk about the stuff that I do with my family, and I think, geez, I'm woo-woo. But there is that middle ground between, you know, I still shave my armpits and I don't wear Birkenstocks. I'm not there. I might've just age myself, but you know, I'm not in that tribe and there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm also not in the, the type A personality tribe. So a lot of us fall somewhere in that middle ground. So I love that. So tell me where you grew up. Let's, let's dive in a little bit to that.
1: I grew up in Northern California. I had a really great family. My parents divorced when I was really young, but I was lucky enough to have an amazing stepdad and It was northern California, about forty five minutes east of San Francisco. so we grew up in the suburbs middle class family and um, yeah i i I loved my life it was it was really really pretty perfect until about the age of 16. <laughs>
0: ah, when, let's see, not much is happening, then. You're in high school, there's peer pressure, you're exposed to everything, and you're figuring out who you are, and you are dealing with your own self-esteem issues. That's, that's <laughs> pretty common, right? Definitely. So, tell me about being 16, because I know a lot happened between 16 and that next few years, so I want to dive into that.
1: Yeah, I don't think I was fully equipped to handle trauma when I was that age. Because, like I said, I was a straight A student. I did everything. I mean, I still partied and things like that, and snuck around behind my parents' backs. But nothing unusual. I wasn't smoking or doing drugs or anything like that. So, um, but at at sixteen, at well, at seventeen, I was raped, and and right after that a friend committed suicide. And then right after that, my dad died. So my world kind of crashed down all at once. But I really prided myself when I was younger on not letting the rape affect me. And to be honest, I was confused by it. It was one of those things where, you know, it was my, it was my first time like drinking and, and I woke up with somebody on top of me and people around. So um, I ended up throwing up on him and and I somebody was at the door saying we we have to go and I had invited over I was supposed to be staying at my friend's house and she was dating an older guy and so we said we were going to the movies because my mom was out of town and instead we went to my house because there were no parents there it was me and her and a group of like six guys and we were drinking peppermint schnapps classy but uh,
0: (laughs) super classy yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think there was a bottle of Popov there as well. And so we're drinking peppermint schnapps. And then the next thing I I remember is I'm, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't um. full intercourse, but it was mouth stuff. So I, my head was against the bed and he was just kind of, I was passed out. So, and then I woke up and I, I threw up on him and, and then somebody said, at the door, like we have to get out of here. And then they left me in my, in my throw up to clean it up. And I was just very confused by it. I told a couple of people, but instead of anybody, I, I had a feeling that it was something was off, but instead of anybody reacting as such, like, Oh my God, I'm sorry that happened to you. It just spread around the school that I, <laughs> I did this thing. And I liked a guy at the time we were just starting to kind of talk. He heard about it, thought I was gross. And um at the time I was also involved in church and a pastor found out about it and they took away my solos and it was just <laughs> everything. So that was kind of my first separation from the church there. <laughs> so and instead of I'm really gonna really jump in speaking more, but I thought I thought it didn't affect Okay,
0: and I'm gonna jump in because I I lost my virginity to date rape. So I can identify with this and anyone who's been raped in that kind of time period of high school, um, when you do try to say something, people act like you did something wrong. Yeah. And if you had like your solos taken away and people were ostracizing you. And so I didn't want to report it to anybody big because I felt like, well, it's my fault. And and so that really sucks. And I think that awareness has gotten better that if anybody does something that you didn 't tell them that they could do or you don 't want them to do it 's against your will and it 's not your fault, um, so you were kind of ostracized from church and from certain friends and stuff.
1: My friends all loved me just the same, but they then just thought I did this thing, and they didn't they didn't and but so did I, so i don 't really blame them for that like i I felt like it was some big mistake I had made and it was my first time drinking. And so I, I kind of just accepted it. It's not like I was then shunned from everybody, but then I just, things were different after that. And interestingly enough, I've always known, I always had a story of being raped, but I was raped a couple of years later again uh, with full intercourse. And so that was my rape story. And it wasn't until this whole Me Too stuff and the Brock Turner case that I read. And I just started breaking down and crying a lot and like having visions of that night and and saying that is so fucked up like that's the I can't believe that happened I can't believe I didn't identify with that and now like looking back at it that was the one that affected me the most that that was the one that just changed me a little bit so the first one or the second one the first one. The yeah, second one, I think yeah. I was already already a little bit numb in that department. And so it was just like, oh, this happens. And that's why I prided myself on not letting it affect me because I thought it was that one. And of course it affected me. But um, it, the other one was just so much greater, I think, and in such an unaware way. So it was just, it was an interesting thing to go through. And I was almost, then I felt feelings of shame later on. Like, I can't believe I didn't Realized that back then. Like how stupid was I? What would I have done differently if I would have realized that this wasn't my fault? So yeah, that was, those are the first few hard things. And, and I think my life changed after that.
0: So within two years, so the first rape happened and then tell me about your friend, the suicide with your friend.
1: So I ended up, cause as the first rape like I said, it wasn't full intercourse. So I lost my virginity to my boyfriend. And interestingly enough, three days after was when the other rape happened with somebody else. So it was, it was tough, but, um, but I was going through that and we were kind of a group of four. My best friend was dating somebody who was my boyfriend's best friend. So the four of us were always together. And then she broke up with her boyfriend and he would call me and call other people like, seemed kind of desperate and we all ignored it. Um, and he would say things like he's going to kill himself. And I really thought he was being selfish. I'm like, why are you doing this to Christine? Like, oh my gosh, you know? And then, and then he did, he hung himself on the phone with her dad. He called her dad doing the same thing. He was kind of ignoring him and then he hung himself. And that was the first time I ever lost anybody. And so I just broke down I had dreams about it for years and so much regret for just not being there for a friend, not taking those threats seriously. And because of that, I, I did realize that I have to help people through things for me to get over stuff. And so when, a few years after that, I ended up volunteering at the Suicide and Crisis Counseling Center as the phone person when you are calling the crisis line. And it re- it really did help just just kind of learning about what people are going through and how much you can help and things like that. But yeah, that was this, that was my second trauma.
0: (laughs) And with suicide awareness, I think it's much, much better, but I mean, much better than you, you know, you were born in 85. So you were in high school in 15 at 2000. So that's, I mean, things have come a long way. Like you said, they have the crisis help and people are learning that the best thing you can do is talk about it, which I think we feel like, well, if we talk about it, they'll think about it more. No, they're, they're already thinking about it. If, if someone's thinking about suicide, you're not going to make them think about it more by asking the question. And yeah. um, it's hard. It's of the biggest
1: things I learned doing that was that every everything that you think you should say is probably the wrong thing to say. Most people want to say, Oh, I've been through that before and I just did this, but that's actually very disempowering to somebody in crisis. So people in crisis, their brains aren't working in the same way, so they don't come to the same logical conclusions as you might. And so you have to ask them questions to get jump to their to help them come to their own conclusions. And then you also do to your point, you do want to be blunt. You want to say like, so how long have you been thinking about killing yourself? You don't want to say like taking your life because you don't, oftentimes people aren't even, once they hear those words, like, oh my gosh, killing myself, then it'll kind of snap them out of it a little bit. Make them, make them be very deliberate with what they're actually going to do so that they don't, I don't know, they don't kind of fluff it off to the side like it's not not a big deal and then you just ask questions and get them to empower themselves like when was the last time you felt empowered when was the last time you didn't feel like this what can you do now so it was it was a really big learning experience and honestly that training has helped me just in the way i interact with people today a lot (laughs) i used
0: to teach uh suicide awareness to foster parents and so It's just interesting how these opportunities come in our lives. Like you said, you know, when you're the type of person that wants to help other people and you're presented with this, it's not something I was ever searching for, a suicide awareness type thing. But then um, a year ago, my daughter, when she was just before she was 15, had a suicide attempt. And now she and I talk about it a year later. And it's very interesting having that insight with someone who went through the whole progression you know and can talk about it is here to talk tell the story afterwards and so it's just interesting how we get presented with these opportunities i guess mm-hmm. and you live through it so that was what made you go into the that opportunity so it's so then so you go through this first rape and then you have a, a close friend commit suicide you lose your virginity three days later you're raped again and then tell me about your dad. This is in a two-year period.
1: Yes. So then I went to college. I went down to San Diego State. And I remember very vividly that I was getting into my friend's car and we were taking a little trip down to the beach. And I got a call from my mom saying that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He had lymphoma. And I don't know. It was weird because, my, like I said, my parents were divorced through most of my life. They separated when I was like, two or something. Actually, it might have been an infant when they actually separated, but then the divorce went through. And so my dad was the fun one. He didn't have custody. Uh, I was definitely a mama's girl. uh, And it's weird being that young and having to go visit your dad, like as a three-year-old or something like that. You just feel uncomfortable with it. So I, I would cry when I had to go there. And then our relationship definitely got closer later on when I was in high school. So that I'm glad that that period of my life happened, but within a year of finding out my dad had lymphoma, he had died and he was always like this big, strong man, like could do anything, (laughs) just wanted to kind of live in his car. (laughs) He wasn't really a provider. Um, he led NA and AA my whole life. And so he was sober and, and yeah, um, he, he was just always very strong. And then suddenly I went home to visit the first time after I found out he was dying and, and he, was, he lost like 50 pounds. He was totally different. and he, We went and stayed in a hotel because at the time he was married and as, to somebody 20 years younger than him, I think he just didn't wanna be alone and she was awful. A lot of bad things happened from that. And she wouldn't leave the house even though they were like supposed to be separated and she was being abusive and things like that. And so we stayed in a hotel, just a little kind of ghetto, little motel. And um, we went into the hot tub and I kind of wanted to hang out with my friends. I was still in that age. (laughs) Didn't really know why I'm staying in a ghetto hotel with my dad in my own hometown. And he took a deep breath. was like looking up in the air, his stomach looked pregnant because he had a tumor the size of a softball growing in there. And he just looked totally different and I couldn't get over it. And then he took a deep breath and told me that he wants me to know that he gives my stepdad his blessing to walk me down the aisle when I get married.
0: Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I just broke down. It was really, really hard. And then I ended up coming back to visit several times. There was one time that he, he was in a a home at this point because he was just in such bad condition and he, he, Ran away from the home he didn 't have pants on <laughs> he <just had> A pair <laughs> of jeans over his shoulder, and he was in one of those little electric wheelchairs and they ended up finding him a mile away, going up this hill called Vasco <laughs> Road, like in no pants, like weighing like one hundred and thirty pounds. It was crazy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I came back and visited him and then the last time I saw him, he could barely talk. He said something about the room being very oily he wasn 't making any sense. I was helping him hold up his juice so he could drink, and he was kind of drooling. But I just fell asleep holding his hand. And then my stepdad had come to pick me up to take me back to the airport. And I fell to my knees in the parking lot and just broke down, cried so hard like a wailing toddler cry. And then um, the next weekend, coming up to the weekend, and that was so hard. It took me three days to recover once I was back home. I was still just crying. And then the next weekend, my aunt said, you should probably come back. Your dad's not doing that well. And I couldn't handle it. And I made an excuse and didn't go. And then he died that weekend. <laughs> so that was very, very tough. I had a lot of regret from just our life and how many times I used to cry as a little kid having to go over there and then feeling like I let him down and he died alone. So it was, it was tough. Oh God,
0: Melissa. And I mean, you are your age and you are handling it as well as you can. And it is a horrifying experience for someone 19 and call anybody to go through. And then to feel like you can't forgive yourself for parts of it. Tell me a little bit after he died because i know you weren't in the best space at that point. you'd gone through a incredibly traumatic tough two years at an incredibly tough age.
1: Mhm. And i was in a party school and i definitely took party school to the next level. I joined a sorority right after my dad died. Didn't think i had any interest before. So it was spring semester and of my sophomore year joined a sorority and i went to every party. My nickname in a school has one of the biggest Greek systems in like the United States. And my nickname was party girl. Like they wrote it on, on my shirt. Um, there was a tally on the whiteboard in my dorm room on how many nights I would go out. And, uh, if, if I missed a night, it'd get erased. And I got up to like 70 nights once it was crazy. And I, I developed a very heavy eating disorder pretty much the month my dad died, which I didn't even realize until years later that that was the sequence of it. Um, And I, and it's weird how something like an eating disorder develops, because I thought it was just something that at the time, consciously, I was thinking, well, this is just an easy way to combat the freshman 15. You know, it's hard, especially drinking as much as I was, gaining a little bit of weight. And I heard somebody a different sorority girl say something almost in a joking way. Oh yeah, I could just throw it up later. And so I was like, oh, people don't think of that as a big deal. And I remember it being difficult at first. And then it was not long before, it was only a few months that it took over my life so much that I, there would be days that I wouldn't leave my house, just binging and purging and (laughs) taking my roommate's food, trying to figure out like, what I could even afford because I'm a college student and I'm broke. And, uh, and it, was like, it was painful. I was putting my body through so much. And unfortunately, even though it had part, points in my life where it was better than others and points that were just so low, that eating disorder lasted a full eight years before I was able to recover from it. God. So,
0: and you're drinking a lot during that time, which isn't super healthy.
1: Oh yeah. So tell me the toll that, first of all, how did you get through school? You know, I, I was good at school. School is something that I have always been able to, like when I was in fifth grade, I used to do all of my work for the month, the first day, and then have no other homework for an entire month because we, the way she had it laid out. And I was just like that through all of school. I would do all my homework in class while the teacher was talking. And I ended up using my, this was another point of regret, but I ended up using my dad's death as an excuse a little bit um, right after he died. Th- there was a class, I signed up for Poli 101 and completely forgot I was enrolled. This is like a dream that kids have. Like <laughs> my, I told my friend about this and she goes, that used to be a recurring nightmare of mine. I didn't think it actually ever happened. And it was like right before finals. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was signed up for this class, had never even gone to it. So that was the mental state I was in. <laughs> and, uh, and I ended up going into the into the office and I was I was still a wreck for my dad's death so it wasn't necessarily an excuse but at any given moment I could burst into tears and so I was already freaking out so it was very easy to burst into tears it's not like I had to force it I was crying <laughs> and told him about how oh, my dad died and going through such a hard time and he ended up just giving me an A <laughs> so I feel like people were kind of reinforcing my behavior and I, it didn't make me show up to the final um it was, it was interesting, but I, I did get through, I was on the dean's list, (laughs) it was, oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) that, that, that's astounding to me, okay,
0: so you were still going through school, you were going to, except for poli sci, you were going to most of your classes, you were getting, no, I was
1: not going to them, I, I ended up going to, um, the, the, uh, disabled student services, saying I had ADD so that I could leave a tape recorder at the front of the room and also get priority registration and all of this stuff, which I never went to the front of the room and left a tape recorder and left. Didn't do those things, but they weren't allowed to mark my absences. And so I, they, they could only grade me on, on schoolwork, not on the amount of time I spent in class that was basically, but I did that to kind of hack the system, which is interesting because most of my life people did think I had ADD, but I was so interested in school. People with ADD hyper-focus on the things they're interested in. That's why a lot of them can beat a whole world of a video game in minutes, you know, and and then they just can't focus on the other, and so I was like that with school. I've just always loved learning, and so I would finish all of my work, usually right before the finals, and just go in for the finals and I and my one of my roommates was very upset with me because she went to every single class she was kind of like looking at me like you don't go to class like are you just like wasting your life and she's like do you you even know about the final and I went to the final and plus and she got a C (laughs) she was not happy with me so um yeah school actually went all right Good God. No, I wouldn't have been happy with you either. That's frustrating.
0: But you were basically learning how to work lots of systems and use what you were good at, which was school to your advantage, to still have this total catastrophic lifestyle.
1: One thing I've always been proud of myself with is my amount of resourcefulness. Like where there's a will, there's a way. I've I've been pulling little things like that my whole life. Just now I have very strong pillars of values I think that I that I was kind of lacking before so I will still use those things but not I I have a lot of my pillars are like always make decisions based on love versus fear and always leave things better than you found it and things like that and so definitely I needed those guiding posts for sure
0: right yeah I would say that that's pretty good good (laughs) So you're drinking a lot and you're bulimic and this lasts for eight years. So let's talk about bulimia is one of the most common eating disorders. And interestingly enough to me, people don't talk about eating disorders like it's some big, horrible secret that you have to hide. And I wish people would talk about it more because it's so dynamic in our culture. Tell
1: me what eight eight years, Melissa, what did that do to you? It was really hard. First, my mom, my mom found out after a few years. And so then that was obviously hard. She's a great mom worrying about me all the time. But it put so much stress on me because if I eat anything at this point, if I ate more than a few bites of food, more than a few calories, that wasn't the most healthy thing in the world, I would have this overwhelming anxiety like I needed to get rid of it. And so Eating at my mom's house, she'd always make nice dinners, and it was with like steak and stuff like that. And I just feel so weighed down, even if I only ate like a quarter of the steak, it just like was stuck in me. And so I'd, I'd get anxious and irritable until I could go to the bathroom. But then my mom was watching me, and so that was difficult. And oddly, once I once I did heal myself, a lot of my friends had no idea, which is very interesting, except for one friend who's a nurse, and she ended up saying she had a feeling. And so um but I was very good at hiding it. I and I don't know, it was it was coupled with a deep desire for health. And so I was still seeking health. I always I've always been athletic. I've always worked out. Never had to make a resolution to like lose weight or start working out. I never stopped working out. But um now it's for different reasons. Now it's for health before it was like this obsession for the perfect body. And so I'm going through it, but even relationships, I would end up kind of destroying a little bit because it would get in my way or I'd be nervous of them to find out. And I remember sitting in my room one day crying, thinking that I could never actually be with anybody because how was I going to hide the secret that I had and how in the world was I going to stop? And so just the idea of stopping seemed so far-fetched to me because there were a few times that I tried, but it's like uh, it was it was just hard my my i didn't have a mechanism to tell me when i was full anymore so it was like always a feeling of needing to eat more and then and then trying not to and so if i wouldn't throw up it was because i was barely eating that day and so it was just really really difficult and as i said there were times that were better than others but but if anything bad happened i would go into another spiral of binging and purging and sometimes like not leave my house for days and so it would it was It was bad, and i I ended up meeting somebody finally, and it was it 's my current husband and and I had actually been healthy. I, I did yoga teacher training after eight years, and that was the first catalyst for making a big change. Things really started to change inside myself, and I had been working on myself for a long time while still making mistakes, still reading and all of this stuff, and I still had the kind of little fire within myself that I do now only it was just a very small flame and and a lot of the things i was doing was putting out that flame as often as possible rather than growing it and so i was making a lot of progress after yoga teacher training and i i hadn't done it i hadn't binged and purged for a while and then i met my husband and my happiness level and just feeling so accepted and a feeling that I had never felt in a relationship before, like finding somebody that's perfect for you. And I really never went back. And I went and read some a book called The Bulimia Help Method, which is actually the best thing I could have read. I've always been kind of adverse to the 12-step programs because as I said, my dad taught them when I was growing up. And I was like the kid playing with blocks in the corner with like, hey, my name's Carl, and I'm an addict and telling their crazy stories. And but what I knew about life and what, what I believe is I don't necessarily think I could be in something where I'm constantly affirming, even if I made all these strides, that I'm constantly affirming this problem that is no longer in my life. So I just kind of have different beliefs of being able to do that. And I wasn't able to, which probably made my healing process longer. But that book really brought it down to the science, which is what it's what I try to do with my podcast It's like, fine. I, like you said, the woo woo stuff, I get into the woo woo and I want it. I want the science behind it. So it was talking about the science of what you're doing and when your body absorbs the stuff and why purging doesn't actually like, you're still getting all of the fat from those calories. Even if you're purging everything else, your body absorbs what it needs to immediately. And it'll start doing it faster and store things away and, and whatnot. And it just, something clicked and I have not had the desire to do it again. But I think a lot of it came from understanding and then happiness. So
0: so what, did you graduate from college? I'm going to just jump back and finish that up. Yeah. Journalism. Excellent. And then, so for the bulimia, do you still have that chronic intestinal damage?
1: So that was interesting because I, It was about six months into my relationship with my husband when he was just my boyfriend at the time and we were in mammoth snowboarding and suddenly I was, I got this major pain in my stomach and so I had to go to a coffee shop while he went snowboarding and I was sitting there nearly crying and it was like, you know, that feeling in your mouth where your tongue starts to salivate when you're about to vomit for real. And not make yourself (laughs) like uh, I I kept feeling that, and then I sneezed, and it would kind of subside, and I was like, "What is going on?" That's a and I noticed it happened a few times, and I'm like, "This has to be something that's in a forum because these things are obviously related." And I ended up finding a forum, and it was chronic gastritis, and um, I found a forum that talked about this with the sneezing and everything, and was like, "How interesting is that?" But I was I could barely get out of bed for the next two days, and these things would come back once a month for months. And I went to the doctor and basically found out it's chronic gastritis. And I'll probably be dealing with this for the rest of my life, which is very hard for me to feel kind of incapacitated like that, especially given how active and athletic I've always been. And so I ended up reading a lot of books about health, just like I normally do. I've got to fully educate myself if I need to solve something. And I switched to a vegan diet. And within four weeks, all of my symptoms were gone. Every single one of them. And so, um, and the only time it's come back is when I accidentally drank something that I didn't know was made with dairy milk. And for the next day, something else happened. So, um, yeah, I am a proud vegan now, which is something I never, I never thought what happened before. I used to love like a bloody steak and now the idea makes me want to vomit.
0: <laughs> well, because it's in relation to how it makes you feel. I mean, I'm totally carnivorous and I'm probably more paleo than anything else. So vegan lifestyle to me is like an alien foreign object, you know, <laughs> but you have to put that into perspective for anyone who it's, it's the way certain foods reacted in your body and the, the diet that you needed to make you feel better. And so that works, right? That's the science behind the woo-woo
1: yeah it's it's true well, and I did read a, a bunch about and and uh, it, another catalyst to the vegan diet for me was also as I started to read like the truth about cancer and stuff like that after my dad died, and it's just really, really hard to get good quality meat, even if it does say organic, whatever in the united states there's there's a lot of there's a lot of science behind it, and so yeah. My husband's vegan now too. And, um, our dog's not yet, but only cause he won't eat anything else. <laughs> that's a, that's a subject people always laugh at, but, um, but yeah, the vegan, the vegan diet like saved my life.
0: So, I know we 're we 're like it seems like we 're wrapping up with this happy ending, and you know the shoe fits and all that stuff, but before you met your husband and you kind of went through this during that time that was really difficult, you dated someone else oh
1: yeah um, yeah i like it 's such so interesting to look back at because I can see when my first moments of kind of bringing the downward spiral a little bit up, but nothing ever just happens that way. And so I had to go through a lot of trials and tribulations before, before (laughs) I started to actually make changes in all areas. And I think sometimes when you're making good strides in one area of your life, you can also, at least for me, make excuses for the other areas. It's almost like makes this easier to do this because it's like, well, I'm doing all this other good stuff. And so I ended up meeting somebody, um, I was moving back from Hawaii, I had moved around a bunch, and I was moving back, stayed with my mom for a little bit, and ended up meeting this guy, seemed a little too good to be true, very, very happy-go-lucky, nothing seemed to bother him, and I loved that, and he actually gave me the book, The Mastery of Love, which is a big catalyst in my healing, and just realizing that you are in charge of your own happiness. And so There were a few things combined that just made me turn a complete blind eye. Number one, his dad died the weekend after I met him. So I had an overwhelming amount of sympathy for him. Then he had given me this book. And so it kind of seemed to explain a lot of the nothing ever bothers him. And then things started to kind of take a turn and he was, we were staying in resorts a lot and he kept saying he was getting his carpet done, but then like started to figure out like he lived with his mom and I was like, but why can you afford all this? And he was buying and selling jewelry and, and his dad had just died. He had, he said he had a jewelry business with his dad. His whole story made perfect sense. And he, he did loans with his dad also. And so he had, access to all the MLS reports which is um, basically where you can see oh this house is up for sale they live there or they don't or they live there but they're gone from nine to five so he had access to all of this stuff and then they would have and so we would go to these houses sometimes and, and it all just seemed legitimate he drove a Benz and and I saw his eBay account of buying and selling the jewelry and sometimes it was like a hundred thousand dollars going on could see these cases of jewelry. My mind just didn't go to what the reality of was. First, I find out he's actually addicted to meth, which I didn't, I, people are like, how do you not notice that? I noticed when he could no longer afford it and he would go into these crazy lows and I was like, what is going on with you? And then there was this guy coming around that seemed kind of shady and it ended up being his drug dealer. And so I, things were happening I, I knew he was cheating on me. I found out about one of them. I was like, I have to get out of here. So I went back to Hawaii for a bit, a month, with my friend, and we had friends out there, so we could stay with them. And I was planning on just trying to finally get separation from him, but he was calling me, saying that all this stuff was going well. His mom loaned him money to get his business back up off the ground. So I came back home, agreed to meet up with him. He got a hotel, as always. We stayed at this casino, and um, and then the next day we're we're driving and we get arrested. (laughs) And he had been robbing houses the entire time I was gone. And even before that. And so these half the time I was, there was like a time I might've been in the car in the driveway. And he said he was going to check on a house that was for sale. And I thought it was still his business before I had left. And now I'm looking back at all these times, like what was going on? And I guess what he was doing was he ended up going to rehab right after we got right after we both got arrested. I spent a few days in jail and then he went to he went straight to rehab, which I was pissed off at because I'm like, really? I'm in jail and you you get to go straight to rehab because you have some fancy lawyer. <laughs> and and I had I was just still confused as to what even happened. I was like, I I don't understand that there was stolen stuff in the car. Things are piecing together, but I'm very much in denial at this point. And yeah, I spent like a week in jail and <laughs> ended up like making a friend. After I got out, I actually put money in her commissary account. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was making weird decisions at this point and just trying to do little acts of kindness in any way that I could to make up for all of the bad decisions. And so he went to rehab and because of that, he told me the truth about so many different things. And he, I guess he was taking these MLS reports, finding out when people were home, taking or when they were gone and if they didn't live there, taking lock bolt cutters and clipping the lockbox, and then just like bringing the lockbox to his car, shoving a screwdriver in and, and jimmying out the key. And then he'd just walk in and he dressed nice and drove a Benz and never came out with anything big. Cause he was only interested in the jewelry because that was his business. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then everything started to come down. Like the reason that the only reason he was even caught was because he started his, he was, basically getting whatever money he could from the stuff and then, and then spending like thousands gambling. I remember one time in, in particular that we went to some hotel, he got a suite because he was trying to make something up to me because I, I mean, he was cheating on me and I was like, get, he always lied about it. So I could never prove it. And then all of this stuff. And so we're in this hotel and he's, he wins like $22,000 at one of the slot machines. Um, video poker because he was playing like five play betting ten dollars or something and he won and I was like wow that's awesome I went to bed and apparently he not only lost it all but he had no money and I had to pay the seven hundred dollars for the suite that he got (laughs) and I was just like and so that was the last thing before I ended up going to Hawaii like I need to get away from you and so anyways he was he ended up yeah just gambling everything everything away and then he he couldn't afford his meth anymore. And so he got his meth dealer to be in on the robberies where he'd go for the jewelry and his meth dealer would go take the TVs. And so they, there was also another time where I had just bought a brand new car when I was in Texas because at that time I was making good money. And um, it was a Jeep Liberty and it had a soft top. So it was almost like a a convertible SUV and the top would go all the way back. And he borrowed it while I was sleeping to rob a house. And then locked himself out, so he actually got a knife to the top of the of the car, slashed my brand new car to get in, so he could get this TV that was worth like two hundred dollars, and ended up telling me that somebody broke into it and it wasn't him. And I found out afterwards in rehab that he actually did it, so it was just (laughs) very, very messed up. And I had to go, I had to be connected with him still for several years because we were going to these court dates, and it was. It was very difficult because he had a really good lawyer. I didn't even want to tell my parents. My stepdad was a retired police officer. My mom worked at a church at the time. And I was just humiliated. They then knew. They were like, and I, it was like the shameful thing. And I had to call my cousin's husband for legal advice and all this stuff. But my lawyer wasn't very good. He never even showed up. And I got talked into, I got presented with a problem where this person that I loved at one point, but now I was so angry at, but it was still these blurred lines. And, and basically if we went to trial, I could easily prove that I was gone the whole time because I was actually in Hawaii for all of the eyewitness accounts of him being with a girl. Cause I guess a few times somebody saw a girl with him. But when I was in Hawaii, he had actually asked if he could pick up my dog from my mom's house because he missed him. He got my dog and then he'd go into these houses with my dog. So at one point, like he stayed in a house for three days because they didn't live there. My dog pooped in it. And then they saw a blonde girl because he was cheating on me with her. (laughs) So I could very easily prove, though, that that wasn't me because I had flights and like all my debit card receipts were all from Hawaii. But if I did that, then it would have guaranteed that he went to jail for 10 years or more so felony. And, um, (laughs) and it was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But somebody just recently asked me, well, well, it's so funny how you make decisions one time and you'd never make those decisions again. But honestly, if it was somebody I loved, I would make that decision again. And it was a big push for me to be as resourceful as possible because I had never had a problem getting jobs. I always straight A student, all of these things, I was an overachiever, even though in part of my life was very much underachieving. And, uh, but I was too embarrassed to go do, like explain what was on my record. <laughs> you know, it's a crazy story. And so um, I decided at that point, I needed to build something for myself. And, and it took me a while because I was like, Oh, I think I'm gonna have to hide this forever. But these last few years, I just believe in full transparency because I've gone through a lot and I think I think I can help people with my experiences so I mean I'd yeah. say hopefully I geez
0: so <laughs> uh you also that was like a super hard you were with him for about a year and that was a a really really not good year and but then you also had your own lowest point um separate from him that was that was something that happened with you. Tell me about that. Because this is during all of it. This. this is one of those like hard to believe stories, you know? I know. Like <laughs> I holy know. cow. Um so what else happened to you with your car?
1: He was an alcoholic. And that is something that I definitely no, but at the time, like like I said, I was a party girl at heart. So for a while it was almost fun. So we're staying in all these casinos and he's gambling a lot and he would just throw money at me so I'd leave him alone and I would like at first use it for massages and like <laughs> and whatever. And um casinos don't in California don't serve alcohol from two AM till six AM. So I even remember mornings where it was like six AM and be like oh it's 5:59 now it's six we're taking a shot and I'm like okay and then I started to kind of push back like no this is too much but one day in particular it was 2 p.m we were at Armando's and I only remember drinking one margarita but uh, apparently I had multiple shots and I said I was going to the bathroom and instead got in my car and drove away side swiped the car the side view mirror came off and Um, so somebody started following me because he actually was in his car when I swiped his car and the side view mirror came off. He followed me and called the cops and I went the wrong way down a street. I was obliterated and ended up crashing my car. I hit a truck that then hit a, another vehicle in front of it. So two different cars, well, three, if you include the side swiped car and I was actually on the six o'clock news. That's how my mom found out, sitting on the curb saying, Armando's is really strong margaritas. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, and so I came to, like, standing up in a holding cell, not having no idea that this had even happened. And then I'm, like, getting released, very confused. It's the middle of the night. I'm in, like, a jean skirt and tank top. And I actually called that messed up boyfriend to come pick me up but my phone was dead I used what looked like a homeless man's flip phone it was very weird (laughs) um and he picked me up and so then I'm waiting a while like I stayed with him a night and then finally went back to my parents and and they knew what happened because I called and they're like we know what happened we saw you on the news and I was like oh my god and so they live in a little small town and um And so I had to go have that shameful conversation, but they're just like at this point not knowing what to do with me and just being like a lot of like head shaking. And so my stepdad takes me to go pick up my car and, and I called to make sure it was there. And they're like, yeah, but I, I, oh, the one in the wreck. And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, maybe not. Well, yeah, whatever. It's here. And so I go there and like about to pick it up. And the guy says, I mean, yeah, it's here, but I don't know if it's drivable. And I was like, what? So I go and look and I had totaled this car almost. And so uh yeah, but as is my way. So I have only a public defender and they're trying to give me a month in jail because 2 hours after they took my blood alcohol levels it was still a 0.29, which is crazy. That's like near death. And I had to go to trial for it. And they gave me like a month a month in jail and you're supposed to, if you blow over a 0.11, I think, then you have to get the nine-month DUI program when the one below that is a three-month DUI program. She came back and told me that this was what I was getting, and I, was, I said, no, can you go back? And she came back with something a little bit better and then ended up coming back a third time because I just kept saying no, just being like, well, I'm not paying for you. I'm, I, what are my boundaries here? And ended up somehow getting... 17 days on house arrest and only the three-month program. And so, and then the, when I'm going to get my little ankle monitor, the woman was kind of very dry. You could tell she does this every day, just like going through the details. And I'm making jokes because that's what I do. And I'm like, like, bring it back in the condition that you found it. And I'm like, so to be clear, I can't bedazzle this because <laughs> this thing is pretty ridiculous. It's like just making jokes. And she finally like smirks. She's like, and you only have this amount of, like you can't go into your front yard or your backyard. And I was like, but it's summer. And it's hot here. And I made some excuse and she's, she extended my boundaries. It was very, <laughs> people have reinforced bad behavior for me sometimes. And so, um, yeah, my boundaries were extended. And then I ended up in this DUI program, didn't really go. And then said I moved, I ended up moving to LA afterwards. and am finishing my DUI program in LA and, um, and nobody in my DUI class could believe what my story was. Everybody's DOI stories were way less bad than mine. And I had the lowest sentence than everybody. It's like not even legal to <laughs> only give somebody three months with a .29. So, um, and I missed half of those, <laughs> half of those classes. Um, yeah, so. So, so that what
0: changed? What, I mean, you've gone through pretty tough stuff. You haven't met your husband yet where did the change come from? Because the system is definitely encouraging you. You're, you're Mm -hmm. being enabled, whether you're resourceful or other people, it doesn't really matter. Why? What, first of all, why did you want there to be a change and how did that happen?
1: So I moved to LA again to get away from this guy. Didn't tell him where I lived, blocked his number. He Um, ended up seeing some posts on social media somewhere that was public that I checked in somewhere. So he knew my general vicinity and literally stalked me to LA. One point he threw a brick through my windshield. Um, he broke into my house while I was sleeping once and it like terrified me. My roommate was terrified and I ended up moving again from that place. So he didn't know where I lived. He moved out to LA into, a uh, one of those like assisted living, not assisted living, but a halfway house, basically, where he was supposed to be sober and wasn't a block away from where I live. So I had to move again to get away from him. And then he ended up continuing to rob houses, apparently, even after all of this stuff and getting an amazing lawyer and getting away without jail time for robbing 40 something houses. And, uh, which is amazing. It's like unheard of, but he had a good lawyer and he went to rehab and he had excuses, kept robbing houses, got caught. And to this day he's still in jail, which is why I'm not really, he's been in jail for seven years now. I think he has a nine year sentence. So that'll be interesting. But, um, but yeah, so that happened, but it was like wake up call after wake up call and honestly coming to LA and just being free and living life the way I wanted to without influence because I think I was very influenced. I would, I would be lonely and I'd be looking for something and then whatever crowd I was in, people that were willing to hang out all the time were normally partiers. And so now I'm living in LA. I no longer have a car because I crashed it and I am just figuring stuff out. And so I saved, I had some money saved a little bit that I had given to my mom like years before and asked her for that. She gave me a few thousand dollars and I used it to kind of get my bearings in LA and I, I won some internet marketing contest. I won a ticket to go to this internet marketing. It's called um, traffic and conversion summit. And at the end of these summits, they have what they call the wicked smart contest. And you go up and you tell your best internet marketing secret. And at the time, like black hat internet marketing, like all the spammy stuff was really in. And I had figured out, I, I was always resourceful, and I had figured out this awesome way to <laughs> basically friend people on Facebook, and there was a, a script I could use where it would like download people's um, phone numbers and then use Google Voice to text them for free. Anyways, I had this whole system, and a friend of mine was trying to sell sports bras, and I ended up selling a bunch of her sports bras through Facebook groups and getting a commission from it, so that was my trick that I shared with them won the contest, which I won a computer. But then the best part was, is I had a line of people waiting to talk to me at the end of this. And it set me up for the next two years on um, freelance, which was very cool. And so like, like my heart is to always get better. And so if I'm not interrupted by that, and I was kind of by myself out in LA, I was making a lot of positive changes. I, I went to the gym every day and yoga every day. And I was making really good money doing what I was doing and, and charging a good amount. And, learning a lot on how to like just build my own business. And, and then I ended up doing yoga teacher training. So it was just like incremental steps. And yoga teacher training was just a big, uh, it it just kind of put a lot of things in place for me, answered a lot of questions and really just being around so many people that were so open-minded and loving and accepting and good hearts. That was what I needed. And so then that's who I'm surrounded by. And I made I, I still partied, but it was in a healthier way and it was occasional, but I was still young living in LA and whatever. But, um, yeah, yo, I have yoga teacher training to thank, I feel like for, for a big, big push for me to change my life.
0: And then when did you get into the Reiki healer?
1: I, I decided to get certified, uh, a year and a half ago. And so I don't, I don't do like, I'm certified in yoga as well. And I don't, teach and I also don't do Reiki for money, but I, I love getting certified and stuff. I'm certified skydiver as well. Yeah. I was just (laughs) going to bring that up. Accelerated free fall skydiving
0: and transcendence meditation. And so you like, you, you do like to get certified. <laughs> so it just is a part of who you are and surrounds you with the people that you want to because in the meantime I mean you started partying less you got into yoga you kind of fell into a couple of places where people were more positive and then you wanted to put yourself in those places you got through the bulimia.
1: Yeah and, and I think a lot of the certification stuff was me building up my new resume, building up all of these things that I could show as certifications to kind of offset this other thing that I was hiding, you know, that I, which I never really hid it. I've, I've always been an oversharer. I've always kind of told things The the, Biggest secret I ever had was my bulimia, but it was because I knew what it felt like when my mom already knew and that anxiety, and I didn't want people looking at me whenever I went to the bathroom and stuff like that. And so I needed to wait until I was healed, and then all of a sudden I just opened up and started telling people about it. But um yeah, I think the certifications were definitely just having as much to show. I also signed up for every single thing online and whatever, like just so I I was dominating my own reputation. And
0: you also, I mean, like you said, you were really, if you have ADD, your passion is learning, which is very beneficial for you in these situations because you're gaining all the certification. You start doing mindset training, reading, podcasts, audio books. You're trying to follow mentors. So I want to, you're married now and you have an awesome dog who's not vegan. And <laughs> um, you're still voracious. you started your own business with the mindlove.com and certainly your your experience is invaluable to help other people. but you you took on, I love this because I've done this too, and I think people that do this have a higher success rate. You start looking at the people that you want to emulate, the people you want to surround yourself with people who are better than you are. and those successful people, like you said, they all have, I do this, the interview on the podcast, everybody has the same pretty much list of things that they do for self-improvement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me, let's, let's kind of, cause you, we could go for like another hour on just, you have like the most interesting stories. Just to recap, you you like to crash um, Grammy parties and Obama's election dinner at George Clooney. And like, you're you're scrappy and resourceful. And I think if you just pretend you belong, people assume you belong. So, I mean, we could talk about a lot of super fun stuff, but I wanna kind of wrap up on, you did all this studying and learning and certification, and you started to compile a list of things, that successful people do. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Okay. So first off the, like I said, I was always kind of influenced by others. And so finding somebody like my, I feel like every time I got into a relationship, it would set me back a little bit. Like they weren't learning the same things, but my husband and I bonded over the book *The Power* by Rhonda Byrne, and so it's like a law of attraction type thing, positive thinking. And we were always like the positive ones at that point. I was doing very well uh, with my life, and and after that, things started to just soar. So we listen to the same podcasts, we read the same books, we listen to a lot of audiobooks, and and being with somebody like that has taken my growth to such a crazy new level, and it's fast, and you can feel it. And so, yeah, we i've read like think i read forty seven books last year, like think and Grow Rich, the Science of getting rich the law uh, the secret the power um, a, a bunch tons and I, I started to just kind of notice the common denominators of everything and it 's all like I, I wanted the science behind it too, like how energy works because even the things are woo woo there 's science behind it, and it 's even greater than the science most people know because we 're literally all cells of energy. Like that's, that's what we are. When you look at us close up, it's not this concrete thing. It's moving little cells, like things are energy. And so I wanted to learn how that all worked. And so now this last year has been awesome with my goals. And, and it's interesting because people make comments all the time, especially with my family. When I go back, it's just like, wow, like you're such an insi- inspiring person. Like I really have tried to get a handle on every area of my life. So, I wake up. I have a very. I wake up. I drink a large glass of water. Take my vitamins. Go to yoga. Meditate in the car after yoga. Come home. Write in my gratitude journal. Uh, read my. Read my planner that I planned out the night before, and reward myself with a matcha latte. Like that's like every single morning for me. At night, I do a goal review at the end of the day. I I then write in my gratitude journal again. And I plan my next day. So everything my friend actually said to me one day, like, aren't you micromanaging yourself? And I'm like, micromanaging is only bad if you're doing it to somebody else. But (laughs) yes, micromanaging my time, exactly what I want out of life and actually keeping the goal there, which I've never been good at, you know, New Year's resolutions, 8% of people keep them or something (laughs) like that. And so um, I'm very excited about this year. I have 10 pretty solid goals. I've, I want to be fluent in Spanish by April and I've practiced Spanish every day since December 25th for 30 minutes a day. And, and yeah, so I, I feel like I have my shit together for like the first time in my life, which is just very cool. Well, the last two and a half years have been really good and uh, a lot of really awesome things have happened. I'm like, and I've really, I really pay attention to the people that are my closest friends that I surround myself with that we're all just uplifting each other and accomplishing things. And so I have a co-working space. So I'm constantly meeting other entrepreneurs and helping them out and and life is great now. <laughs> and Which so I is amazing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that's why my podcast is the perfect outlet for me. It's a way for me to kind of organize my life experience. And organize the things that are important to me and kind of a a way. And I think a huge part of it is that right before my dad died, I was looking for stuff and and he had a little notebook. I got so excited. He had a notebook in his hospital room. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to read stuff. The Only thing it said in it was dear God, comma, nothing else. So on one hand, I'm like, this is so fitting. Like those are his last things. Like dear God, like I know my dad didn't want to die, which is a really hard thing. Like seeing the pain in his eyes and just not wanting to leave this earth. It was hard. Cause I feel like some sort of closure if somebody looks like they're accepting of it. But, um, I was also kind of resentful. I'm like, you didn't leave me anything else like this. Like, what about a letter to me? You know, I'm your only daughter. I was the only family he really had around. And, and, um, and I think a lot of my podcasts too, is I want something I want, I want to create a legacy. I want to leave this earth better than I found it. And I want, I want a a little time capsule really for, for what people go through and and a place for people to share the human experience and and how they got over it so that we can all just help each other. We're all in this together.
0: Where do you see Mind Love going? What's your goal with this? Are you doing coaching?
1: I want to – my main goal in life is to have a viral TED talk that I do. So I want to be a speaker. So one of my New Year's resolutions, I joined Toastmasters this year, which is like the most famous public speaking thing. It's been around since like the 60s or something. And um, so that's, that's been really fun. But I imagine Mind Love once I, I grow it to the point that I can put on retreats and seminars and things like that. So it'll be a more interactive place for people to come and, and experience transformation.
0: Awesome. Can people be on your podcast?
1: Yes, people can be on my podcast. I'm always looking for stories of inspiration, um, things that are doing differently to kind of, to kind of take control of your body or your mind. It's really a lot about mindset. So it's everything from people, from people like losing a limb and how they dealt with that to, and the mindset they had, or accomplish something big, or I even had uh, one of the only female instructors of the Wim Hof method, which is like extreme cold exposure, and it, it, it boosts your immune system, and makes you superhuman, basically, so people like that, I, uh, yeah, just any ways of human improvement, or being our best selves, is who's on the podcast.
0: Holy cow, Melissa, it's been a wild ride, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> there were like nine more stories I wanted to tell. We can do a part two. We can definitely do a part two. (laughs) Um, Because there's definitely, there's a, there's, you're a, you are at least a two podcast series. So (laughs) I'm all about that. At least um, so much information and so many things that you've gone through that you can turn around and help people with, with such a good attitude. And it's amazing you got through what you got through. And I really appreciate you sharing so much.
1: Of course. I hope even if it just helps one person with whatever they're going through, that's really all I, I need. <laughs>
0: that's, my, that's my goal, help one. It's just that one.
1: Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and, of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.